Hey Zion, uh, my name is David. I'm a pastor at Hope East Queens and I have the privilege of speaking the Word of God to you today. Uh, so before I go, I do want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I know Justin through our denomination, the Foursquare Gospel. Um, I'm out here pastoring in Eastern Queens. Um, and so as you can see, this is a globe of Flushing Meadow Park. Uh, if you're not familiar with Eastern Queens, this is where the Mets play. So I'm a diehard Mets fan. Um, and if you're not a Mets fan, you're a Yankee fan, it's okay, I forgive you. All is forgiven. We're all Christians. <laughs> We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all right, all right? Um, but also, I do want to share that I have a special love for my brother, Justin Matera. Uh, he's asked me to come and speak. Um, Justin and I have a lot of things in common. We first started our church together, which was an incredible blessing. So he's planted about the same time we planted out here in Eastern Queens. Um, we were also... Uh, both raised in New York, so we're both New Yorkers, um, homegrown New Yorkers, and that's another thing that we have in common. Uh, and there are some things that we don't have in common. I'm not a video game nerd like he is, <laughs> um, although I do enjoy, my again, sports very much. I'm a diehard into sports. So that's about all that I have to share about uh, myself. But there is something that I want to share with you guys today, and it's on the subject of anger. Specifically, how it is that we can heal our anger. And I know that for many of us, this has been an incredibly rough uh, last year and a half or so. Um, and a lot of emotions have come out through uh, the pandemic and everything that has happened uh, this past year and a half. And so uh, this is a message that I really want to share with you guys in order for us to understand how it is that we can best uh, heal the anger of our hearts. Now, before I talk about anger as it's this thing that we have to get rid of, I want to preface it by saying that not all anger and not all forms of anger are bad things. In fact, we are created in the image of God, uh, and God got angry at times. In fact, 18 times in the Old Testament, we see God getting angry. So no, anger in itself is not a sin. Anger in itself is not always a bad thing. It can lead to sin. It can be a sin, but it's not always a sin. In fact, it's an emotion that was given to us by God. And there are times where we should be angry. Absolutely. If you come across injustice, oppression, right in the face, right it's in your face, then you should have the emotion of anger. So uh, today we're going to talk about three times, three clear-cut times where it specifies in the Bible, in Scripture, that anger is in fact a sin. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read 26 through 27, where it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So right there in the beginning, it says, In your anger, do not sin. So there, it reinforces what I've been telling you guys at the start, which is that not all anger is a sin. It's possible to be angry and not sin. However, it speaks on the first form of anger that leads to sin, which is where it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And what that means is do not let your anger linger. Because when you let your anger linger, it turns into bitterness. It turns into a hateful heart. That's what happens, right? When we let our anger go on and on and on, it turns into bitterness, something that's detrimental for ourselves. Now, not only is it detrimental for ourselves, 
spiritually, it's detrimental for us mentally and physically. It affects all forms of our body, all different parts of our body. In fact, lingering anger, bitterness starts to affect our uh, cardiovascular system, our respiratory system, our endocrine system, our central nervous system, our digestive system. All different areas of our body are affected by lingering anger, bitterness, bitterness. But not only are we affecting ourselves with lingering anger, we also affect those around us. We affect those people that we love, the people that we want to hurt the least because it leaks out, it comes out in ways and forms uh, that we don't want it to. And it hurts the very people that we don't want to hurt because of our lingering anger. On top of that, uh, we start to think irrationally. Irrational thoughts happen in our heads as a result of our bitterness. You know, that's why there's racism. Racism exists because oftentimes we experience pain and there's painful moments of our lives. And then we want to take that out on somebody. So we take it out on specific groups. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie Crash where it came out years ago where it talks about racism. But when it shows you why it is that these people are racist, it all starts with one event and then they happen to extract that one event and then they, they place this big judgment on entire groups of people. You know, I never, I never thought of myself as a racist or somebody who could be a racist. In fact, I take a lot of pride in telling people, like, that's not me, right? I take a lot of pride in letting people know, like, I grew up with a lot of diversity. You know, I, I, I understand a lot of different cultures. So I, I take this, like, great pride in being like, I'm not a racist, right? I can never be a racist. But when I think back on my life, since my childhood, uh, there was one group that I really struggled with. So I'll give you some background. I'm a Korean-American. I'm a second-generation Korean-American. Um, I am a child of an immigrant family. And the one group that I really struggled with for a lot of my life uh, was older Korean males. Older Korean males. Now, the reason why I struggled with this was because, first of all, uh, I didn't grow up with a father. So I didn't grow up with an older Korean male figure in my household. Um, and so my only image of older Korean males when I was a child was like church or my friend's houses, right? And I have these specific singular moments in my life where these individual moments in my life where I would have these like negative experiences and then formulate these negative ideas about older Korean males. And this lasted throughout my life. Now, I never again thought that I could be that type of person where I would categorize a certain type of uh, certain group of people and and make negative judgments on them but when I really think about um, how I used to behave for example I ran a law practice for seven and a half years and for seven and a half years of my law practice whenever an older Korean male would enter into the room uh, my posture would change I would automatically become more defensive my voice would get higher it would it would it would be louder I would I would speak in a little bit more condescending way Right uh, now that the power dynamics had changed. Now I'm in the seat. You want something from me. I'm the lawyer. So you're coming down, sitting there, wanting something from me. Like the power dynamics would shift and, and I would talk down to them a little bit, very subtly. I wasn't like blatant jerk. But when I really think back to those times, uh, I would have these subtle differences of how I would treat older Korean males. Now, it, it, I've, I've been long healed from that, right? I've, I've been healed from my lingering anger, my bitterness. And when I look back and think about everything rationally 
and am I able to see things more objectively, I realized that that was irrational thinking. And the reason being is because now I have a profound respect for older Korean males. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm now like 40, so basically I, I'm the very age of, of young me would have been racist towards me now, right? So, so I'm now the age of, that per, um, of what I used to have a stereotype against. But also, when I look at what the immigrants, what the older generation was able to accomplish and do, I'm amazed. I mean, they came to the United States, a lot of them with close to nothing, and they were able to Um, give people like myself the opportunities that we have today. When I drive through Eastern Queens and I see the immigrant churches that were planted, that were built, I'm amazed by it. In fact, many of my very positive experiences happen to be because of older Korean males, especially in my early years of ministry. Uh, The first person that ever gave me a job as a pastor and believed in me was an older Korean male. The first person that ever wanted to mentor me was an older Korean male. Uh, One of my heroes in life, somebody that actually uh, has blessed my wife and I in so many different ways is an older Korean male. So when I look at everything now objectively because I don't have this lingering bitterness in my heart, I realize that that bitterness crippled me from seeing the truth. And that's what happens when we allow our our anger to linger. It cripples us from seeing the actual truth. So number one, bitterness, lingering anger is a sin. But number two, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs for number two. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Quick-tempered. To be quick to your anger. That's also a sin. It leads to folly. It's not seeking great understanding. Now, how many times do we see stories being presented in the media, but they don't present the full story. They only present uh, what they know at the time or a partial part of the story, right? How many times do we see that? And then we we react to it. We're quick to getting angry. And then later on, we find out that that's not really what happened. That's not the full story or that that was only them putting out uh, a part of the story without fully understanding the context and what was going on, right? But we get so quick to anger. But yet the Bible's saying, no, 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 no. We should be seeking understanding, trying to seek out the total understanding, getting the big picture, seeking out the truth. All right, so today I'm going to share with you guys uh, one of the most embarrassing stories of my life. And I can share with you guys because you're not my, our congregation. So <laughs> I, can, I can share with you guys. Um, uh, but I'll share with you. Um, so, you know, years ago, I had a heart for youth ministry. I, I loved um, working with youth. I loved working with teenagers. It was a passion of mine. And my gateway into that was uh, I, I started working at this church youth program, and my gateway was this retreat, right? I asked if I can serve as, as a, a leader at that retreat, a teacher at that retreat, and I was in my young 20s at the time. This is my first time ever uh, experiencing anything like this. So I go to the retreat, and one night uh, I see the students outside, some of the students outside, um, the boy students, and they're all doing push-ups in the snow. And one of the teachers is basically like commanding them to do push-ups. And I'm looking outside and automatically in my head, I'm thinking, wow, like this guy's a bully. Because I'm, I'm reminded of like all these mean older Korean males that would make me do things that I didn't want to do 
um, even in church settings. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about all these memories start flashing. And I judge this guy immediately. I'm like, wow, what a bully. Like, he, he thinks he's, he, he's power tripping over, what, making high school students do push-ups? Are you kidding me? So all of a sudden, all these thoughts are flowing through my head. Now, unfortunately, um, one of the students happened to have asthma. And he has an asthma attack, but everything's fine because they get, get his asthma pump. They give him the asthma pump. He's totally okay. But as I'm seeing that, I'm now like triggered. I'm super triggered. So I go outside and I'm hot. I'm hot. So I go out and I start blowing up. I start yelling at everybody. I yell at the guy and I'm like, dude, who do you think you are, man? Like, who do you think you are, man? Like, you think you're cool? You think you're a tough guy? You think you're big bad because you're, you're, you're picking on high school students, you know? And I'm like hot, right? I'm like about to challenge this guy to a fight. By the way, um, later on, I found out that um, he's actually a martial arts expert. So he would have like broke me in half, but... But yeah, I didn't know that at the time, right? So, so I'm hot. And thankfully, he's like gracious enough. Like he's feeling bad about the situation. He's like, you know, Dave, I'm sorry, you know. Um, so anyway, all that happens and we're cool. Like everything gets broken up. And now like I'm feeling myself. I'm like, you know what? I did something. Like I stood up for these students and, and like they're, they probably look at me like Dave's the man. Dave's the man because, you know, I wish somebody stood up for me when somebody would be picking on me. And now I stood up for them, right? So this is like, mind you, this is like me trying to make a good first impression, right? So anyway, later, uh, they're in their rooms. We send them to their rooms. And now uh, I go to their room, right, at night. And, and I just want to check up on them. And I'm expecting them to talk about like, thanks, Dave. Like, yo, you saved us, man. You're the man. And I walk in there and they, they look at me and they're like, yo, what's wrong with you, man? Like, yo, what's wrong? They're like, yo, Dave, you're crazy, dude. You're crazy. And I'm like, why? Why? Like, I was like, what's going on, man? And I, I explained, like, you know, that guy shouldn't be doing that. And they explained to me, basically, that guy uh, is like their hero in life, right? And he's he's actually, um, they actually joined, all of them joined his martial arts dojo. So, like, this is the way that they bond together. They bond through, like, physical activity. They bond through, like, doing push-ups. In fact, one of the reasons why a lot of these kids look forward to going to this retreat was, like, this experience that they would have with him. And he would, like, teach them, like, Bible lessons through, the, through this experience. Like, it would be, like, the most memorable part of their experience where they would, like, bond together. And then they would, they would grow together. They would learn about the Bible while doing these physical bonding times and, like, activities together. And they would feel, like, this closer connection. They're, like, I basically, like, ruined that by, like, coming out and creating this scene. Folly. Folly, right? That was not me having the right understanding of what's going on. I was too quick to my temper. Too quick to my temper. So bitterness, lingering anger, number two, when we're too quick to temper. And number three, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man qualms a quarrel. A hot-tempered man. Hot-tempered. This is different than quick-tempered. Hot-tempered. I looked at other versions of this, and I saw things like passionately-tempered, a man of fury. Those were other translations. Explosive anger. Uncontrollable anger. Anger when you lose control, when you explode, is also a sin. So we know now the three times where the Bible is very clear where anger becomes a sin, right? Number one, lingering anger, bitterness. Number two, being quick to anger and not having proper understanding or trying to gain proper understanding. And number three, explosive anger, right? And when you hear all of these, uh, generally what we do is we try to compare ourselves with other people, right? We go, well, I'm not as 
quick to anger as that person. I don't have ex- as explosive a temper as that person. I, at least I'm not clinging on to like bitterness like that person. You know, so we tend to compare ourselves to other people. Why? Because none of us are really proud of being angry. Right? We're not proud of being angry. In fact, people who claim that they're proud of being angry, I know there's people that are like always claiming that they're proud of being angry. They say things like, she made me angry. He made me angry. They made me angry, right? Well, guess what? Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you angry. Only you can make yourself angry. That person cannot force you to be angry. Only you can make yourself angry. And the reason why we say things like that, he made me angry, she made me angry, they made me angry. We say that because we're not proud of being angry. Nobody's proud of being angry. Nobody wants to truly be an angry person. So what do we have to do? We have to justify it. We have to find out a way to justify our anger. So we blame it on other people. We say, oh, well, it's because they made me do it. Or we walk around sometimes thinking that we have this big X target on our face, right? And, and, and I do this too. I, I think sometimes that people are just targeting me. Like, why not? Why aren't you targeting that patient? You see that patient person over there? Why aren't you targeting that person? That person who look, looks all calm and patient. Why aren't you targeting? Like, why are you always targeting me? Like, we think we're walking around with this like gigantic X mark on our face and people are always coming after me. You know why that person is a patient person? Because that person's a patient person, right? That's why. It's not because people aren't targeting. Oh, come on, we live in New York. We live in New York City. You're telling me nobody's trying to push that person's buttons? People are always trying to push our buttons. But it's because that person's a patient person that that person's able to be patient about it. And because we're angry people, well, we, we, we get angry about it. It's nobody made us angry. We made ourselves angry. And at the core of it all, it's because of this. It's because when we get sinfully angry, there's a lack of love. When we get sinfully angry, it's because there's a lack of love. Now, ironically, ironically, those of us who are angry need the most love. We need love. And actually, the cure to our anger problems is love. But what do we do, ironically? We kill love. We get rid of love. In fact, if you know this, like the most cynical people are the hardest people to receive love. They're the ones who reject love the most. They're the ones who push love away the most. They're the ones who are quick to kill love. You know, I've never in my entire life told an agnostic or atheist about the biblical Jesus and had them not say he sounds like an amazing person. Never. Right? Never in my life. In fact, every single person that I've ever met and cr- come across where I've told, uh, told an agnostic or an atheist about the biblical Jesus, about his love, about his acceptance, about his kindness, about how he cared for those that nobody else wanted to care for. That Jesus. Everybody's like, wow, that sounds like a great person. Sounds like an amazing person. In fact, Jesus was the very embodiment of love. And we believe he was just more than simply just an amazing person. He was the very, very embodiment of love as he gets hung up on that cross and crucified and sacrificed for our sins. What happens in that moment? Well, people take their anger problems out on love. They say, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of this world. I'm sick and tired of the lack of love that I feel. And so what do they do? They kill love. 
And so often we might judge them and say, oh my gosh, like I can't believe those people. How dare they do that? How dare they hang Jesus up on that cross? I bet you that a lot of them are not that different than you and I. These were people that were hurt in their life. They were being oppressed by the Roman government. They were tired and sick and tired of being oppressed. They were oppressed all their lives. They had gone through so much pain. And when Jesus came and he wasn't the very ideal sacri- uh, ideal Messiah that they were expecting, the ideal Messiah that would conquer the Romans, they got angry. And their reaction was then, again, to kill love. But of course, that's not the answer. The answer is for us to receive love. And there's a story in the Bible where Jesus comes across a woman. She doesn't have a name in the Bible, but she's very significant as she is going through bleeding and suffering and through physical pain. And she goes out and sees Jesus and believes, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. And as she touches his garment, I really believe that it's not just simply in her mind that if I touch his garment that I will be healed physically, but that everything in my life will in fact be okay. So that's what she does and Jesus gets astonished by her faith as she is healed. And she just grasps onto Jesus. She she knows that if I just touch, if I just touch him, if I just grasp him, if I just put my hands on him, if I just receive his love, like everything in my life will be okay. And so that's what we need today. That's what we need tomorrow. That's what we need moving forward. That in a sinful world where we walk around constantly feeling the lack of love, we need more of Jesus. We need to reach out to Jesus. We need to extend our hands to Jesus. We need to grasp Jesus. And we need to receive his love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that deprives us of love because of sin, because of the depravity of human beings. May we look to you as the antidote, as the provider. You are the ultimate healer. And it is not the world that will give us the satisfaction that we need, but it is through your sacrifice on the cross we receive you and we receive your love. We thank you for this opportunity that I get to come and speak a message to this wonderful congregation. May you bless them all and love on them well. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.